there have been events that have drastically changed our world. These things have so changed the world in which we live that we have come to think of them as just sort of normal. We don't know what we would do without these things. You think about 1440 in Germany and the Gutenberg printing press, and now we're able to print books at mass because of that one change that occurred in our world. Or you think about Timothy Berners-Lee and the international researchers that worked with him in 1990 to start what we now know as the World Wide Web. Just think about it. In 32 years, we went from desktop computers and dial-up Internet to smartphones and voice-activated searches. There's debate about who's responsible for this, but somewhere around the 17 and 1800s, someone invented the automobile, and now our transportation has changed. But without a doubt, the thing that has changed the world the most, the most important event in the history of the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus rose early that Sunday morning after he had been crucified and laid in the tomb, the world would never be the same. Jesus rose as king with all power and authority in his hand. Salvation was now only through him. His kingdom was just days from being established on earth. The world was forever changed. Paul would say in Romans 1, 3, and 4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That was God's stamp of approval on Jesus, and the world was put on notice. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But the resurrection of Jesus was never designed to change your life and my life in vague ways, sort of, sort of abstract ways, but in concrete and in real ways. And so in the book of Colossians, Paul says in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, there was a second resurrection. Our lives are not just to be changed through the resurrection of Jesus, but it's to be changed through our resurrection as well. Paul says we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. And that's designed to change us. As Josh read for us a moment ago in Colossians chapter 3, the first nine verses, Paul says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God, and now things are different. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then in verses 5 through 9, Paul says, Put certain activities and certain deeds to death. You're a new person. And the Bible says we should be changed. You and I may be far better at putting the things to death that Paul says we should in verses 5 through 9 than putting on the things that Paul says we need to put on in verses 10 through 14. It is not enough to stop doing things that we used to do before we came into Christ. Paul says there are also some things we must practice. And so in verses 10 through 14, Paul uses this powerful metaphor of clothing and what we're to adorn ourselves in to say the resurrection should have changed you. There are things to cease, but there are also practices to adopt. So put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Gentile. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian. But Christ is all and in all. As God's holy and beloved chosen ones put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these things. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Maybe you feel like as a Christian, you know, I've obeyed the gospel. I've been a Christian for a long time. There are a lot of old practices that I've given up. But if I'm honest, very little has changed on the inside in my heart. There are certain things that I just can't see myself doing. I struggle with forgiveness and with kindness and with compassion. Paul says in Colossians 3, 10 through 14, here are five things that you and I, if we're going to be God's people, have to put on as we've been changed by Jesus's resurrection, but also by our own. Number one, 
we're to be putting on the new man that is made new by knowledge. Paul says, put on the new man who is changed by knowledge. In the beginning, God created men from the dust of the ground, formed us and made us in his own image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But through our sin and the sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, there's a sense in which that image has been marred. But we can be new creations. We can be new creatures. Second Corinthians 517. Paul writes, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. But especially you and me, we become new in what Jesus has done. And so the first thing Paul says we put on as new creatures is this new man who is changed based on the knowledge of his creator. The world says, be yourself. Jesus says, that's a bad idea. You've tried that. Be like me. Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says, though I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'm a new person. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Paul says, put off the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which is created after knowledge and true holiness after his creator. Paul says the first thing you and I need to put on as people of God, once we put away all the worldly things, put on the new person who is renewed based on knowledge. There's this new idea that's been gaining traction and it's called wardrobe minimalism. And the idea is that you and I have so many shoes and clothes in our closet. But if we're honest and if we take inventory of what we wear, we typically revert back to the same old things. And so instead of standing in the closet and saying, what am I going to wear? I don't have anything to wear. Certain individuals have said, you know what? Just purge those things from your closet. Bring it down to a few pieces of clothing. You need a few pairs of shoes and that'll solve it because you really only wear the same things day after day. Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, Barack Obama all say they wear the same things or relatively the same things every day. It cuts down on decision making. It allows them to focus their minds on more important things. And typically they decide the same way every day anyway. Paul says, spiritually speaking, opt for wardrobe minimalism. When you get up in the morning, you say, well, what am I going to put on? Put on Christ. Romans 12 and verse 2, you've been renewed by your mind being changed and now you're a living sacrifice. And what am I going to put on tomorrow? Whose identity am I going to wear tomorrow? Paul says it's already been decided. You just put on Christ. You put on the new man, Paul says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. That's what makes the difference. The knowledge that we have changes us as we learn more about God and his will. We say, I want to live like that. I want to be different. I want to be someone who ultimately pleases him. Maya Angelou said, you do what you know with the knowledge that you have. And when you know better, you should do better. And that's right. But here in Colossians 3 and verse 10, Paul says, you do know better. And so you should do better. Notice how many times throughout Colossians, Paul talks about knowledge, his desire for the Colossians to have it, their possession of it and their need to do something with it. Look at Colossians chapter one and notice verse nine. In Colossians 1 and verse 9, Paul is beginning this epistle with the prayer for the Colossians, and he prays that their knowledge would increase and abound. Underline knowledge in verse 9, and then he mentions it again in verse 10. Paul says, I want you to abound in knowledge, and I'm praying that your knowledge would grow and be furthered. In chapter 2, in verse 2, he says, all knowledge is hidden in Jesus Christ. And then in Colossians 3 and verse 10, He says that reality should change you four times in this short epistle. Paul says you have knowledge. I'm praying that your knowledge be increased. All of the knowledge is in Jesus. And now that knowledge should change you. 
If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth will liberate you. It'll make you free. John 8, 31 and 32. We're to live changed lives because we clothe ourselves in a new man, which is renewed after the knowledge of his creator. The word that Paul uses here for renewed, it's really it's in the present tense in the original language, which means it's a continual idea. Change, as far as Paul's concerned in Colossians 3 and verse 10, is not a been there, done that experience. It's a every day I need to do my best to continue to change and make sure that I choose to put on the new man experience. Not as though we've already attained or we've already arrived, but it's to say I need to work on myself daily to make sure not only that I stop doing the bad things, but that I think like Christ, behave like him and allow him to mold and shape my thinking. Paul says the new man wants to be like his God. He's renewed after the image of his creator. That's the challenge to put on or to be clothed in the new individual, to think a new way, to live a new way. You know, what's the best way to have lasting and real change in our lives as Christians. You say, I've got a problem with speech. I've got a problem with my tongue. Study the Bible on that subject. I'm struggling with lust or with anger or with lying or with pride. Study the Bible on the subject. And after you've studied the Bible on the subject, make up your mind that you are going to do whatever you can to put those passages into practice. And the next time the temptation to do otherwise presents itself, you've resolved, I will not disappoint my God. And that knowledge lived out in our lives. That's how change occurs. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is wise and it makes the simple individual wise as well. It's through the precepts of God that we gain understanding. Paul says it's through knowledge that you're changed. When you know better, you do better. Paul says you and me are changed by what we know and who we know. Be clothed in the new man in knowledge. Number two, we got a new way of seeing people. Paul's words in verse 11 are foundational and they're mind boggling and they're countercultural now. But they were so much more countercultural then. You see, Paul doesn't just say you're changed in the way that you live. That's verse 10. You're a new person. But Paul says more. He says, not only that, if you really belong to Jesus, if you've been raised like him, you see people differently as well. He mentioned several classes of people. Will you notice them in verse 11? He says there's neither Greek nor Jew. The Greeks would be the Gentiles, the Jews, God's formerly chosen people under the old covenant. He says there's no circumcision nor uncircumcision. Those would be the outward markings of those two categories, those two camps. Barbarian or Scythian, those would be lower level Gentile people. And then Paul says slave or free. Those domestic social status markers, Paul says in Christ, none of those things count. But Christ is all and in all. Don't you know that so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we've been clothed with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for we're all in Christ. And if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Paul says you've got a new way of how you see people. Only Christians can see this as it truly is. We're to be changed in how we view people. We no longer view people based on social status or race or color or rank. What's the most important thing about you? What do you think the most important thing about you is and what do you communicate to people is the most important thing about you? If you're a Christian, it's not your country or your clan or your occupation. It's Christ. Don't you see it in verse four, chapter three? He says Christ is our life. That's the point. It changes how you see yourself and it changes how you see others. Paul was saying to the church at Colossae what he said to many other churches in the first century. He was saying to Jewish people, you don't get to look down on Gentiles. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Romans three twenty nine. 
He was saying to slave individuals and free, free individuals couldn't look down on those who were enslaved, who maybe even worked for them as their servants. Because in Christ, the free man is the Lord's servant. First Corinthians seven twenty two. He was saying to the circumcised, you don't get to look down on the uncircumcised because in Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. But the keeping of God's commandments, first Corinthians seven and verse 19, Marshall Keeble was often asked, why do you call every man your brother? He said, because if I miss him in Christ, I hit him in Adam. He's made of one nation, all men to dwell on the face of the earth. Acts 17, 26. You see, Christians don't think anymore in viewing people through these fleshly and artificial and superficial terms. We don't decide how we're going to treat people based on how much schooling they've had, where they grew up. Paul says it's different now and it's all in Christ. At the end of verse 11, he says Christ is all and in all. That means in the end for Christians, the most important thing about us is our relationship to Jesus. And everybody that's in Christ is to be viewed the same. That's why there's not a white church of Christ and a black one or an Asian one or an American one. There's only one kingdom because there's only one king. Jesus prayed that we might all be one. And that's what Paul points to. You see, if you're clothed in the new man, you're transformed this way. Paul write to a member of the church at Colossae, his own letter on this very subject. He wrote to Philemon. And in Philemon 16, he writes to him to say, you've got a slave named Onesimus. But in verse 16, he says, you're to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. He's been a comfort, especially to me. But how much more to you in the flesh and in the Lord? Paul says your relationship with him has to be different now because he's a brother and there are no excuses allowed. Nobody can say, well, you know, that's just how she is. She grew up in different times. They just don't understand. Or they're from this side of the tracks, and that's just how they see. They don't mean anything by it. Paul says, if you're in Christ, you see people differently. It'll change you. Spurgeon says, no man should boast about his race, his grace, his face, or his place. You had nothing to do with any of those things. You've gotten what God's given you, and nobody else has either. And so we should treat people accordingly. You see, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't change us in vague ways. It changes us in concrete ways. In 1964, the United States of America signed what's known as the Civil Rights Act. It was pushed initially by John F. Kennedy, but signed into law by his successor, Lyndon B. Johnson. What the act suggests is that segregation was no longer allowed. No more discrimination based on race, color, gender or religious orientation. What politicians and government officials took decades to come to realize, Paul says Christians should have known all along. We all stand in need of the same thing. We stand on level ground at the feet of the cross. And Paul says, you've got to see yourself this way. See, it's one thing to say this with our mouths, but it's another thing to live it in our lives. Paul challenges us because the immature Christian is always basing his or her treatment of other people based on these outward exteriors. But the mature realize that everybody in the body of Christ is a part of their eternal family. And everybody who is not is a potential brother or sister in Christ. And we're not allowed to hold the faith of Jesus with partiality or respect of persons. James two and verse one. God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. Paul says we have a new way of seeing people based on these realities. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans three twenty three. Jesus shed his blood for all people everywhere. First John two and verse two will all be saved the same way. Peter stood up at the Jerusalem conference in Acts 15 and verse 11 and said the Gentiles will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just like we will. And we're all a part of the same family of God.
Paul says, you're a new person. You're changed by knowledge. You see people differently and you treat people differently. But then number three, you're to put on a compassionate heart. Jesus described himself in the only verse in the New Testament where he describes his own heart in his own words. He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. Matthew 11 and verse 29. And Paul says, you put on that same heart. He gives three reasons why. He says you're holy and beloved and you're elect or you're the chosen people of God. And because of that, you're to put on these compassionate hearts. And he lists certain characteristics of the compassionate heart. It's the individual that has this meekness or this gentleness. He says kindness, humility. And then he says you're to be patient with other people. All of these things are to suggest that we're to view ourselves the right way. We're to bear the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 mentions all of these characteristics. And Paul says, this is who you are. What people that know you best describe you, as Paul says, we should be described in verse 12. Or are we harsh and rough and irritable people? Paul says, this is how you should be described. You think about coming out of the Christmas holiday, I'm sure many parents have bought their children certain things. And they've said, look, you can wear these clothes to this place. But when you get home, you can wear these shoes for this reason. But when you get home, you're to take these off. These are special clothes, special shoes for a special occasion. Notice Paul says, put on these things. And it's not for special occasions. It's not just for people outside and you take these things off when you get around people that you know better or you're more comfortable around. Paul says, no, this is to be our constant garb. We're to wear these clothes continually as those that are transformed in Jesus Christ. Put them on and be changed. Live differently. Put on these compassionate hearts. All of these characteristics in verse 12 are used throughout the Old and New Testament to describe God and Christ. And so Paul is saying, live like Jesus, be like him and put this on your heart. You know, if we're not careful, the world can hearten us. We can come up on a verse like verse 12 and we can say to ourselves, you know what? I'm not going to be soft. Our world's so worried about being politically correct and we can resist it and we can fight against it. And while that might be true in our society, we don't get to explain away what Paul says in verse 12. We don't get to be rough and disrespectful and mean to other people, even for Jesus' sake. Paul says compassion. Paul says gentleness, humility, meekness. Let these things describe us as God's people. And we're to put these things on. It's our choice to wear them every day as we reflect the spirit of Christ. Number four, put on tolerance and forgiveness. Tolerance is a buzzword. Right now in our culture, what the world means by tolerance is you're to approve and affirm everything that everyone else does. A failure to do so makes you unloving, unkind and intolerant. And there's a lot wrong with that definition of tolerance. But Paul gives a biblical one here that every one of us must subscribe to. He says, bearing with one another in verse 13. If anyone has a complaint against another forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you. So also underline it. You must forgive. The tolerance that Paul calls for in verse 13 and the forgiveness we're to exhibit is not based on how other people have treated us. It's how Christ has treated us. We can put up with more from other people when we focus more on what God has put up with us, not how other people have treated us. It's not I'm so tired. I've given so many chances. It's to say, how many chances has God given me? How many times have I wronged him and gone back for forgiveness? And he's never denied me. When you stand. Praying, forgive if anyone has a complaint against any so that your heavenly father will forgive you in heaven. Mark eleven twenty five to 26. What Paul calls for in Colossians three thirteen does not mean that we overlook or approve sin. But what Paul is saying is this. Christianity is not baseball. Three strikes and you're out. 
It's as long as an individual comes back and begs pardon and seeks forgiveness, we're extended. When Jesus was crucified, you remember what he said in Luke 23, 34? He didn't say, Father, destroy them because they're crucifying your only begotten son. He said, Father, forgive them for they have no clue what they're doing. When they threw rocks at Stephen until he died in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, he quoted the words of Jesus almost verbatim. He said, Lord, lay not this sin against their charge. He wanted God to have a short term memory concerning their wrongs because that's what love does. Love keeps no record of right and wrong. First Corinthians 13 and verse five. And Paul says, you've got to put this on. You've got to be changed with how you see the way other people have treated you and respond like Jesus. You know, a magnifying glass really doesn't make things bigger. It just makes things appear bigger. It allows you to zero in on things. But if you take the magnifying glass off, the reality is things are the exact same size. And maybe it's the case that in your life and in mine, when people wrong us, we put it under a magnifying glass. We believe that it's a bigger deal than when we have wronged others or more importantly, when we've wronged God. And so we feel justified in delaying other individuals forgiveness or putting them on a sort of probationary period. Paul says, if anyone has a complaint against any, forgive them. You remember when Peter came to Jesus in Matthew 18, how many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Jesus says up till 70 times seven. If your brother comes to you seven times in a day and sins against you and comes seven times more and begs repentance, forgive him. Luke 17, three and four. Put these things on. You'll be different from everybody else in the world. If you put on this tolerant spirit, this forgiving spirit, you'll be changed. You know, when Joseph's brother sold him into Egypt and he finally revealed himself to them in Genesis chapter 50, they thought Joseph had pretended his kindness and generosity was so radical. They thought he faked it when his father was alive. When his father died in Genesis 50, they said, now you're going to get us back for all you've done. Joseph said in Genesis 50 and verse 19, fear not, for am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, as it is this day, to save many people alive. He didn't embarrass them. He didn't execute them. Instead, he embraced them and he spoke kindly to them. It's at the beginning of the Bible, but it's a model that's to be carried throughout the pages of Scripture and in our lives up to this very hour. Those that have been raised with Christ, when we rose from the waters of baptism, we put all of the old ways to death. And this is one of the new ways that we're supposed to put on, one of tolerance and forgiveness. Now, here's the last one from Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, put on perfect love. In verse 14, he doesn't just say put on love. He says something better than that. He says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or the ESV has, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It may be the case in verse 14 that Paul looks back to the clothing metaphor. And what he's saying in verse 14 is this. Just like you've adorned yourself with these other garments, the last shirt to put on above all your other clothing. Make sure that you put on love. It'll hold the entire outfit in its place. Paul's point is you've got to love. This doesn't surprise Christians. It runs from cover to cover in the Bible. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. John 13, 34 and 35. We're to let brotherly love continue. Hebrews 13 and verse one. We're taught by God to love one another. First Thessalonians four and verse nine. Love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter four and verse eight. And still Paul reminds us, put this on over your clothing, over your spiritual outfit that you go to the closet. And there's one outfit hanging up every day. That's Christ above all of those things. Put on love because without it, it's like trying to drive a car without wheels. You won't get anywhere. 
will never please God, will never glorify him, will never adorn the Christian graces without the love God wants us to have. Harry Coover didn't intend to invent superglue when he did in 1942, but his accident turned out to be a blessing for many. It's been used to heal war wounds, to put furniture back together, and I would argue it's found in junk drawers throughout the world. Superglue. But you know, it wasn't an accident. When God used love as the thing that binds Christians together to one another and ultimately to him, we know it wasn't an accident. It's the very motivation that caused Jesus to be sent in the first place for God. So not hated the world. The cross of Christ didn't convince God that we were worthy of love for God. So loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. It was love that caused Jesus to be given. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. John 15 and verse 13. And it's love still the glue, the divine glue that holds the family of God together today. Peter says, seeing you've purified your souls through obeying the truth through the spirit, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and remains in you forever. Love has changed us and we're supposed to adorn ourselves in it every day. Colossians chapter three says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on this earth for you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you will also appear with him in glory. But until glory, we've got to get dressed every day and live for him now. Paul challenges us to be changed by Jesus's resurrection. Yes, but also by ours. Maybe this morning you believe that Jesus is the son of God. The resurrection has changed the way that you view him. He's not just a carpenter, a prophet or a religious spokesman. He's God's son. And based on his resurrection, you're ready to turn from sin, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your own sins. Have your own resurrection as you rise from the watery grave of baptism and walk in newness of life. There'll be things that you have to put to death. God will help you with that. God's people will help you with that. And there are also things that you have to put on so that you can live the life that would honor and glorify God. If we can help you in any way, maybe you're a Christian and you say, you know what? I look at Colossians 3, 10 through 14, and some of these things, I just haven't worn them in a long time. Sometimes I act like the old man. I harbor grudges, a spirit of unforgiveness. I don't see people the way God would have me to see them. You can change that. We can pray with you and pray for you. David's going to lead us in a song to encourage us if you need to respond. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.